good morning. My name's Eric, and I'm the pastor here, and I want to welcome those of you that are worshiping with us and those that are online. I uh, want to congratulate our seniors and just uh, look forward to where God takes you and what he does in and through you as you, uh, as you take that next step in your journey. And one of the things that, that uh, is unique about today is we're talking about Joseph's story. And Joseph's story is a story that I believe applies to all of our seniors and really, quite honestly, to all of us, especially this section of Joseph's story. Because this part of Joseph's story, and really the entirety of Joseph's story, is about the providence of God. See, there are numerous times in Joseph's life when it seems like all is lost, when it seems like everything is ruined, when it seems like there is no hope for his future. And yet, we learn over and over and over again throughout Joseph's life that the purposes of God cannot be hindered. The purposes of God are going to be accomplished. God is going to do His will regardless of the evil intentions of people and regardless of the adverse circumstances that we face. And we see that over and over and over again in Joseph's life. And if you're new with us, we're in this series called Joseph Living the Dream. And we are walking through the life of Joseph uh, from Genesis 37 through 50. And today we're going to be in chapters 39 and 40. We're going to cover those two chapters today. And really we're going to be focusing in on the providence of God. Because here's the key to interpreting the life of Joseph. And the key to interpreting his life is understanding what the providence of God is. Because here's the reality. If you and I don't understand divine providence, if we don't understand God's providence, then we're not going to understand the significance of the events that happen in Joseph's life. We're not going to understand all these things that happen in his life. So the question is, what is God's providence? Well, let me start with what it's not. God's providence is not Christian luck. And here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes, I don't know if, you, if you're like us sometimes, but sometimes we go to Publix and we get that front parking space. You ever got that front parking space at Publix? What's that? Rockstar parking. Yeah, you get that Rockstar parking and you find that, that, par, that front parking space in Publix and you're like, whoo, God's providence. God orchestrated this just for me. Man, God is so good. Anybody respond that way? Yes, you do. And so here's the deal. We also, we also, we also have those times where, where we dodge that car that pulls out in traffic in front of us. And we're like, that's providential. God's providence protected me from having a crash right here. And sometimes, sometimes when we when we go to the doctor and the doctor finds the cancer early and it's easily treated and we go, that's God's providence. God's providence is working in my life. But here's the reality. That is not a complete picture of the providence of God. You see, God's providence doesn't just cover the good outcomes, the near misses, and the early diagnosis. God's providence also covers the bad outcomes, the fatal crashes, and the incurable diseases. God's providence is in, is in each and every one of those things. 
God's providence covers the good and the bad. And we have to understand that in order to understand Joseph's life, but also really to understand our own lives. And in other words, what God's providence means and what it shows is that God is in complete control of all things. And through his wisdom and through his love, he is orchestrating and working and moving all things for his purposes and for his plan. So God cares for and directs all things. Because here's the reality. Our universe is not governed by chance. Our universe is not governed by fate. It is governed by God's divine providence. Where he directs the affairs of men. And the affairs of women and the affairs of children. And he directs those affairs and works out his purposes. And God, get this, God's providence means that God works through the laws of nature, which, by the way, they're laws because he created them. He works through the laws of nature, and he works through the free will of men to accomplish his plans and his purposes. And we have to understand that, that God works through all of those things in order to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And it's important to realize that God's providence doesn't mean that he orchestrates all things that are just pleasurable, desirable, wonderful for us. It means that he orchestrates all things, everything for his redemptive purposes. And we see this practically played out in the life of Joseph. Think about it. God providentially used Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery which was a wicked, sinful, despicable act in the eyes of God. God does not condone sin. God does not condone us using our free will for our own purposes and for our sin. But God used that. He used his brother's choices. And then he used the Ishmaelite slave traders. And then he used Potiphar, all in an effort to get Joseph to Egypt. You see, if Joseph had not arrived in Egypt before the famine began, millions of people, including the Israelites, would have died. So how did God get Joseph to Egypt? He got Joseph to Egypt through his divine providence, working through the free will and the sinful nature of the choices of the people around Joseph in order to accomplish his purpose. And so God uses all of those things, the laws of nature, man's free will, even our sinful natures for his purposes. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Genesis 39, and we're going to pick up in verse 1. Now that we kind of have a, hopefully have an understanding of divine providence, and we're going to look at this uh, throughout verse, chapters 39 and 40. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelite who had brought him down. And look at verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. 
And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Verse 4. So Joseph found favor in, the, in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Verse 5. From the time that he made Joseph overseer of his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. In verse 6, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now, the storyline is very intentional here in this text. It is saying over and over and over again that the Lord was with Joseph. It it gives us no room for doubt that Joseph's success at Potiphar's house was a direct result of the fact that God was with Joseph. And God being with Joseph brought about this success, not only in, in Joseph's life, but in Potiphar's entire house, in field and in house. And Joseph's success is directly related to the fact that the Lord was with him. In other words, God's hand is directing and orchestrating every step along Joseph's journey. And we know Joseph's journey isn't, great, isn't a great one. He's tossed into slavery. He's, he's, he's sold as a slave. He's, his brothers attempt to kill him. And yet... God is orchestrating and leading and guiding Joseph's every single step. Now, I encourage you to go and read verses 7 through, I think it's around 18. But what happens in those verses is there's an indecent proposal. You see, Joseph was a good-looking dude, like many of you good-looking dudes in this room. I was teasing. Um, (laughs) But Joseph was, was apparently a handsome man, and so... Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him. She catches his eye. And day in and day out, get this, Potiphar's wife would seduce Joseph to sleep with her. Day in and day out, she would try to convince him to come to bed with her. And day in and day out, Joseph would refuse her advances. Over and over again. He would refuse her advances. This incident is going to show us how God's providence is at work in Joseph's life. Look at verse 8. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me, Except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, Joseph says there's two reasons why I'm not going to go to bed with you. And the first reason is this, that, you, that my master, your husband, has put his trust in me. And I'm not going to break that trust. And the second reason, he says, is that it would be a wicked sinful thing to do before the God. And so Joseph is saying, I'm not going to do it. And so what we see is that Potiphar's wife is persistent. She keeps asking, keeps push pressuring, keeps pushing. And verse, I think, 10 talks about the fact that Joseph 
did everything he could to flee that temptation. He would stay away from her. He would not be around her. He would not even talk to her. And he would do everything he could to stay away from that temptation. Now, what we, what we would expect is Joseph's faithfulness would be, would be rewarded with deliverance, right? Like, that's the way this story should read. We should read this story and say, man, Joseph was faithful. He remained sexually pure. And as a result, God blessed him and all great things happened to him. That's the way the text should read, but that's not the case. Why? Because God's providence had something else in mind. Look at verse 11. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men in the house was there in the house. So now he's alone with Potiphar's wife. Look what happens. She caught him by the garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us, to mock us. And he came in to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled to get out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying that the Hebrew servant whom you had brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Verse 19, as soon as his master heard this, as soon as he heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. Guess what? His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Well, there it is. Joseph's reward for faithfulness, for purity, is betrayal, accusations of rape, and prison. Not what we would expect, right? We expect that his reward would be deliverance. But instead, he goes to prison. Joseph is faithful. He's remained pure and ends up in prison. Instead of happily ever after for Joseph's story, he goes from the frying pan into the fire. Now, it may seem at this moment that Joseph's life is literally falling apart. Nothing seems to be working out for Joseph. But, it's, but that's not what's happening. You see, get this. Prison is exactly where God needed Joseph to be in order to fulfill God's plan. Prison was exactly where God needed him to be. But here's the problem that many of us struggle with. It will take Joseph 10 more years to discover how God's providential hand was working in this moment. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like waiting 10 years. I don't like waiting 10 minutes, <laughs> much less 10 years. See, so often we give up on the plans of God. 
We give up on things way too soon because we, we want to take matters into our own hands. And we're not willing to sit and wait on the Lord's providential hand to work in our lives. And, and Joseph is going to see that 10 years later, how God was working this whole time. Look at verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. We've heard that before, right? The Lord was with Joseph. And he showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Why? Because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Again, this is giving us no doubt of God's providence. We have no room to doubt God's working in this moment. Why? Because the Lord is with Joseph. And even in prison, God blesses Joseph. So clearly, the evil intentions of Potiphar's wife, the adverse, uh, uh, the adverse circumstances of Joseph being in prison could not separate Joseph from the Lord's presence and the Lord's blessing. And yet he finds himself in this terrible situation where he's been faithful, and yet his faithfulness has landed him in prison. But God's providence is also seen in the small details. You see, the reality is Potiphar should have had Joseph executed. Because an Egyptian slave attempting to rape an Egyptian woman would have immediately called for his execution. Even the accusation of it. Because slaves had no rights whatsoever. But Potiphar didn't do that. Instead, he put him in prison. But he didn't just put him in any prison. He put him in the very prison where Pharaoh's prisoners were held. That, friends, is God's providence at work in Joseph's life. Which leads us to chapter 40. Now, chapter 40 is a, is a transition chapter. It's really there is a halfway house between Potiphar's home and Pharaoh's court. And we're going to see that beginning in verse 1. Now sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and the baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the cupbearer and the baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where, which prison? Where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them, and they continued for some time in custody. Now, here's what I want you to see. Notice how God is working. Joseph has gone from the overseer of Potiphar's home to the overseer of Pharaoh's prison to now he is attending to Pharaoh's very own cupbearer and baker. God's hand is working on every stop along the way. God is moving and God is doing everything he can to move Joseph closer to his ultimate purpose for the very reason that God sent Joseph to Egypt in the first place. Now the text goes on to say that the, on the same night, sometime later, we don't know how long it was later, but it was quite a long time that they were in prison together and Joseph is attending to them 
caring for them, overseeing them, watching over them. And sometime later, both the cupbearer and the baker have a dream. And they have a dream on the same night, and that dream troubles them. Well, Joseph, being in charge of them, the next morning wakes up, and he sees their anxiousness. He sees their dread on their face. And he goes, guys, what's bothering you? And they say, we both had a dream, and we don't understand the dream. And Joseph said, please, tell me the dream, because only God can interpret dreams. Look at verse 5. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker, the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them that morning, he saw that they were troubled. He asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. Now let's stop right there. Chapter 39 has told us over and over and over again, four or five times, that the Lord was with Joseph. And now we're going to see exactly how the Lord was with Joseph. Look at at the end of verse 8. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. See, God is going to be with Joseph by helping Joseph interpret the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. And for the cupbearer, Joseph tells him, your dream means that three days from now, you're going to be restored back to Pharaoh's court. You're going to be serving his cup once again. And then Joseph asked the cupbearer to to remember him when he is back in front of Pharaoh, hoping that it would lead to his deliverance because he has been stolen from Israel And he has been falsely accused. And so Joseph asked the cupbearer to remember him. And the baker's like, well, that was good news. Let me hear my dream. Not so good. He probably should have kept quiet and just stayed in prison. But here's what happens. Joseph tells the baker, he said, listen, your dream also involves three days. And in three days, you too will be lifted up in front of Pharaoh, but not to be restored but to be hung. And Pharaoh is going to hang you from a tree. And here's what happens. Guess what? Three days later, everything Joseph told them was fulfilled. Look at verse 20. On the third day, when Pharaoh, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. Verse 21, he restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand once again. Verse 22, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer, what does it say? Did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. That last statement, after all we've talked about, is like a punch in the gut, isn't it? It's like Joseph is doing everything right, and he's forgotten. Nothing seems to be going right. The cupbearer is restored, and yet forgets all about Joseph. Now, next week, we're going to discover that it was only a matter of timing, that eventually he will remember Joseph. But in this moment, In Joseph's life, this is just another disappointing moment 
in a series of disappointing moments that would lead anyone to despair. You think about your own life when it seems like things are just snowballing out of control in the wrong direction. And it seems like one disappointment after another disappointment after another disappointment after another disappointment. That is what is happening in Joseph's life, and he sees no end of it. We know the end because we've got the book. We have the story. But in this moment, Joseph doesn't know the end of it. He doesn't see where this is headed. Ever have experiences like that where it just seems like one disappointment after another disappointment after another disappointment? Just me? Awesome. We've all been there, right? We've all been through that. We've all experienced that. So what can we take away from Genesis 39 and 40? See, I know probably many of you have, have heard a sermon on Genesis 39 and Potiphar's wife. Anybody ever heard a sermon on that before? And the focus was probably on staying sexually pure. That's usually the focus of a sermon on Genesis 34. Like Joseph remained faithful to God. He, he remained sexually pure. And, and the focus is on that, that commitment of Joseph. Here's the problem. Is Joseph's situation really doesn't apply to most men. Like, guys, when was the last time you had to worry about your boss's wife finding you so irresistible? <laughs> that she's, even your own wife. No, I'm just kidding. But when was the last time that you had to experience that, gentlemen? I mean, none of us have, right? That our boss's wife finds us so irresistible that she tries to seduce us to sleep with her every single day and then finally catches us alone, rips off our garment, and we run out of the house. None of us have ever experienced that, but if you had, this is the perfect text for you. <laughs> now, the Bible is abundantly clear that we should flee sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6 explicitly tells us that we should avoid sexual sin. There is no doubt whatsoever. A better text would be go, to go to Matthew, uh, Matthew, where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about lust and talks about fleeing sexual immorality. That would be a better text that would apply to each and every one of us. But Joseph's story in this message, in this text, does not apply to most men. In fact, I don't think it applies to any men. Because that's not the main point of this story. The main point of this story is God's providence. So the first thing I want you to see is that God is always present with his people. God is always present with his people. The most comforting words in Genesis 39 is that the Lord was with Joseph. See, this message is about the providence of God, how God divinely orchestrates and moves and works in our lives. God is with you and I, even in the most adverse circumstances, even the most difficult situations, God never leaves or forsakes his people. God is with us through every single thing you and I face. Joseph finds himself in slavery, forgotten in prison, away from the land of promise, far from his father's home, yet not beyond the Lord's reach. He's never beyond the hand of God. No matter how far away he's, he's taken from his homeland, he is never far 
from God. Now, as a pastor over the years, I have known people and walked with people and talked with people who've gone through some of the most tragic, difficult circumstances that any of us could ever imagine. And the most comforting thing in those moments is the fact that God is with us in the midst of everything you and I face. That God never leaves us. God never forsakes us. God never walks away from us. Where is God when you lose your job? The same place he was when Joseph was thrown into the pit. Where is God when you're diagnosed with cancer? The same place he was when Joseph was sold into slavery. Where is God when you're falsely accused, betrayed, mistreated? The same place he was when Potiphar's wife falsely accused Joseph. Where is God when you're going through a divorce, you have broken relationships? The same place he was when Joseph winds up in prison. Where was God when you're dealing with substance abuse or depression or anxiety or troubles or trials or hardships? The same place he was when Joseph was forgotten. See, God is always with his people. Now, I'll be honest, this doesn't always turn our mourning into laughter, does it? It doesn't always turn the tears into joy. It doesn't always help with the pain. But here's what it does do. It does refocus. It refocuses our, our thoughts and our minds on the fact that God being with us is really our only hope. The fact that God never leaves us really is our only hope. The fact that God is constantly always with his children truly is our only hope. Second thing I want you to see in this text is this, that faithfulness to God does not guarantee favor with men. Faithfulness to God does not guarantee favor with men. Now, this is the point in the sermon in this text where the American dream where the American dream drifts and slams right into God's purposes and plans. Let me explain. See, this is the moment where God's purposes and plans don't always line up with what we've been taught our entire lives. Don't always line up with the American dream. I mean, we all know stories, right? Every single one of us knows stories of people who say, hey, listen, with just a little ingenuity, with a little break here or there, with a little bit of hard work, you can go from nothing to something. Anybody ever heard those stories? That's the American dream, right? Work hard, pay your dues, have a little break here or there, a little ingenuity, and you too can be successful. We teach our children this all the time, don't we? Work hard, hard work and integrity will pay off in the end. And God will reward you for your faithfulness. Now, I am not saying that we shouldn't say those things. In fact, God has devoted an entire book in the Bible to that type of wisdom. It's called the book of Proverbs. But here's what I am saying is that Joseph's story, his experience was not that, not that way. Joseph's hard work, Joseph's faithfulness did not result in favor. 
Now, I know some of you are already thinking, you know the story, and you're going, all right, I know chapter 41 next week. I know that story. And Joseph ends up being the second in charge of all of Egypt. He does, but yet Joseph is still a slave. Joseph is still far from the promised land that God had promised his people. God, Joseph is still, has still no rights to himself. And so Joseph's story is not one where hard work pays off. So that's not his experience. And here's the reality, folks. Sometimes, sometimes in our lives, faithfulness leads to hardship. Sometimes telling the truth gets you fired. Sometimes playing by the rules gets you fourth place when everybody else is cheating. And sometimes refusing an adulteress lands you in prison. That's what we see in our own lives. That's what we saw in Joseph's life. But here's, here's where our hope in God's providence must stand. Romans 8.28 says, For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say all things are good. It says all things work together for good, for those who are called according to whose purpose? His purpose. That's the key. The key is God's purpose, not ours. Now, I don't know about you. I wish it were the other way around. I wish God would say, you know what, whatever your purpose is, Eric, that's the way it's going to work. I'm going to, I'm going to move it. I'm going to, I'm going to tip the scales in your favor. But the truth of the matter is, and Joseph's story is a reminder, that God doesn't always tip the scales in our favor. However, God always works all things, even bad things, according to his perfect, unchanging will. That's the key. And that is the reality of everything that's happening in our life. Third thing is this. God is actively involved in the affairs of his people wherever they are. God is actively involved in the affairs of his people wherever they are. It is important to remember that God is not just the God of big things. God is the God of small things. And sometimes in my own life, I feel like the circumstances I'm going through, the things that I'm facing are just too small for God. I mean, God's got bigger things to deal with, right? God's got more important things to deal with than the silly things that are going on in my life. And yet, what we see in this text is that God is always working and moving in the lives of his people, and he's always involved. There's not one moment in your life where God is not involved, where God is not working. And here's what we need to understand, church, that there is no insignificant person in the redemptive plan of God. That not one of us here this morning or watching online or here by accident Nothing in your life, no circumstances, no situations, nothing you're facing has surprised God. And God can work those things and move in those things to accomplish His desired plans. See, when we understand the bigger picture of God's redemptive plan, 
when we grasp that, we can realize that God can use our slavery. He can use our imprisonment. He can use our trials. He can use our tribulations. He can use our difficulties. He can use our victories. He can use those great things that happen in our life. He can use those terrible things that happen in our life. He can use everything in between to accomplish his purposes for our lives. See, God is always at work. Always, even, even when you can't see it. God is always at work even when you don't understand it. God is always at work even when you have no idea what he's actually doing. You see, when Joseph went to visit his brothers, God had the pit in mind. When, God, when Joseph was in the pit, God had Potiphar in mind. When Joseph was a slave at Potiphar's home, God had the prison in mind. When Joseph was in the prison, God had Pharaoh's court in mind. And when Joseph is in Pharaoh's court, God has something much, much bigger in mind. Listen, church, no matter what you are going through, no matter what you are facing Right now, no matter what circumstances you're dealing with, no matter what trials, no matter what tribulations, no matter what you are going through, God is actively at work in the midst of that thing, whatever that thing is. But here's the challenge. The challenge is this. That we can, maybe you may not be like me, but for me, I know, I can get so focused on that thing whatever that thing is, that I lose sight of the God who is in control of all things. And that's our challenge. That we can get so focused on that thing that we lose sight of the God that is in charge of all things. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author of, and perfecter of our faith. And church, that's what we need to do. Regardless of what we're going through, regardless of what we're facing, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. Take our eyes off of that thing and focus on the God who is in control of all things. Let's pray. Jesus, we know that it can become so easy to focus on the thing that is right in front of us, the thing that is causing us trouble, the thing that is, that is difficult in our lives. And we can become so laser focused on whatever that thing is that we lose, lose sight of you. And you are in control of all things. Nothing in our lives surprise you. None of the things that we encounter none of the things that we face surprise you and yet we focus so much on those things that we lose sight of you and father we know that those three truths that we find in this text are, are absolutely true about you that you are always with us that you are always working.
And that sometimes being faithful to you does not lead to favor with others. But God, we pray that you would help us to be faithful. That we would be faithful in everything that happens in our lives. That we would be faithful in the big things and in the small things. Knowing that your hand is providentially working in all things to accomplish your good, your purposes, your plan. So, Father, help us to realize that. Help us to understand your providence and realize that everything that happens is under your watchful care and your loving hand. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, church, we want to respond in a couple of different ways. One, if you are here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, here's what I encourage you to do. To come to Jesus. Set your eyes on Him. Scripture says that He, he loves you. And He is working in your life. And some of us need to bring our pains to Him. Some of us need to bring our challenges to Him. Some of us need to come to Him for healing and come to Him for care. Whatever it looks like, my encouragement to you is to come to Jesus. To set your eyes on Him. And here's what I know. That if you've never trusted Him, or if you've been walking with Him for a long time, but just have allowed your eyes to get off of Him, the moment you set your eyes on Jesus, you'll see Him. He'll be right there. Why? Because He's never left. He's always present always working some of us we're carrying around a huge huge weight right now and some of us just need to come down to this altar and lay it down and say Jesus you are providentially working in this situation even though I can't see it even though I don't understand it and just as an act of faith, you need just to come lay it before the Father. And that's my encouragement to you. Others of us have, have so focused on whatever that thing is that we've lost sight of the God who is in control over all things. And so my encouragement to you is to get your eyes off of that thing and reset your focus on Jesus. However the Lord leads you to respond, my only encouragement to you is to obey. If that means coming down to the altar, do that. If that means talking to the person that you came with, do that. If that means talking to me, do that. Whatever that thing is, whatever the Lord is leading you to do, respond through obedience. Let's stand, let's worship, let's respond to His word.